together in fellowship um, and to be able to read God's word with you today. Um, Please turn with me now in your Bibles uh, to Isaiah chapter 30, and we'll be reading from verses 1 to 22. Uh, For those of you who have your Bibles with you, we'll give you guys a moment. Uh, The actual Bible reading will also appear behind me on the screen. It's Isaiah chapter 30. Um, Oh, well, perhaps not yet. And we'll be reading from verses 1 to 22. Before we read, please join with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and that we can read it so freely. We pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to work in us, softening our hearts and helping us to trust in you alone. Thank you for your grace and for loving us even when we're disobedient and lacking in faith. Please help Pastor Iggy today to speak in truth and boldness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's start from Isaiah chapter 30. We'll be reading from verse 1. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look to help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in Zoan and their envoys have arrived in Hanes, everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. A prophecy concerning the animals of the Negev. Through a land of hardship and distress, of lions and lionesses, of adders and darting snakes, the envoys carry their riches on donkeys' backs, their treasures on the humps of camels to that unprofitable nation, to Egypt whose help is utterly useless. Therefore, I call her Rahab the do-nothing. Go now, write it on a tablet for them, inscribe it onto a scroll, that for the days to come it may be an everlasting witness. For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Verse 12. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you have rejected this message, relied on oppression and dependent, depended on deceit, This sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found, for taking coals from a hearth and scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. 
yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Then you will desecrate your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You will throw them away like a mental cloth and say to them, away with you. This is the word of our Lord. So, how are your plans going? How are your plans going? Uh, I don't know about you, but my plans aren't going so well. There's a little something uh, that came in the last two years. You might know of it. It's called COVID-19. Uh, it sort of derailed the plans for most of us, I think. Uh, plans that could be considered small or big plans. Uh, we had plans to head back to Singapore to see Lee Ching's family. Uh, I was looking forward to that, eating some good food, getting away for a little bit. Obviously, that's not happening. Um, as a church, we had plans, you know, that we made probably about three years ago or so that maybe by this time, uh, God willing, we would have had another service going. And obviously, COVID slowed that right down. Personally, for myself, I, I had plans by now to be a better pastor. But if anything, COVID has showed me that I'm not as capable as I think. I don't know about your plans I wonder how your plans are going. COVID-19 has been a good reminder for us that we can't really trust our plans, can we? That we're not in control. But I actually think it will take more than a pandemic to really shake us out of this thinking because it is so ingrained in us to put our trust in our plans. We need to go to God's word. And today we are going to see why you can't trust your plans, especially when God has a plan for us. Today, we enter the third major section of the book of Isaiah. We've gone, we've started by looking at uh, the fact that God is the God of Judah, the God of Judah, and that he is the one that will bring judgment for people who rebel against him. He's the holy God, the holy God. Then we went through a whole section where we saw that God is not only the God of Judah, but God is the God of all nations. All nations and all nations against him will also be judged. And now we enter the third section of the book today from chapters 28 to 35. And the key issue that shapes this section is whether the nation of Judah, God's people, will actually trust in him or turn to Egypt in the face of an impending invasion from Assyria. So if you see the map above, Here's the situation. This is just to give you a bit of an orientation of the different nations that are involved here because this book has a historical context we need to understand. If you remember King Ahaz, we talked about him earlier on in Isaiah. Um, he went to ask Assyria for help. He went to ask Assyria for help because he was being threatened by the two 
nations above him, Syria and Israel. So he's the king of Judah. He was being threatened by Syria and Israel. So he said, I need help. He went to Assyria, please come help me. And Assyria indeed did come to help. They wiped out Syria. They wiped out Israel. But as part of the deal, what happened was that Judah had to become a vassal of Assyria, which meant essentially they had to come under Assyria's power. They were still able to be Judah, but they had to come after their power. They had to pay heavy tribute to Assyria. Uh, year by year, they had to keep giving resources, and they survived, but the, the price was heavy. They were struggle, struggling incredibly under the burden of this tax. The people were not doing well. When King Ahaz died, his son Hezekiah took the throne, became king, and he made a choice for his people. He said, I will not pay this tribute any longer. I will not pay this tribute. Now, this was a bold decision, well-intentioned, but very, very risky. Because think about it. He's saying to Assyria, who is the superpower nation of the day, the superpower nation of the day, he's saying, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. Hezekiah knew that they wouldn't be happy and they would be coming for him after this decision. So he had to be prepared to defend himself. But how will he win against this nation of Assyria? What will he do to defend Judah? If we look at chapter 30, we hear of Hezekiah's plan. Woe to an obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade, for refuge. Here's Hezekiah's solution. His solution is to go to Egypt for help. Go to the nation of Egypt for help. And it's clear that God is not pleased with this. This section starts with, woe, woe to the, to the obstinate children, declares the Lord. He pronounces a curse on Judah. Uh, you'll see from our Bible reading we heard before, before from Cece, there was a picture of wars bulging and crashing down, uh, pictures of judgment on the people because of their rebellion. Hezekiah has chosen a human solution, a, pure, hu a purely human plan, not God's plan. Uh, it's really clear if you have a look at the verse. Um, verse 1 says, Woe to those who carry out plans uh, that are not mine. There's emphasis there from God. And to emphasize the humanness of this plan, also they go down to Egypt without consulting me. God speaking. There are huge problems here. This is the issue that will shape this whole section. And it's actually structured around six woes. Uh, rebukes to God's rebellious people. So Isaiah 28 uh, to 33, there's six sets of different woes, laments, rebukes uh, to, about the rebellion of God's people and also the nations around him. But it climaxes with a vision of a whole new world at the end of this section from Isaiah 33 onwards. The enemy of God's judge, it was a, it's a desolate picture. They turned to a desert, that's the picture there, but those who trust in God will flourish. They'll be restored to a glorious new creation. So six woes and then a new creation. That's the structure of this section. But let's start with the heart issue. And that's the problem of pride. Chapters 28 to 29 paint clearly a picture of um, 
human leaders rejecting God's instruction, not listening to his plans, plans of salvation and blessing, mind you. These are good plans, plans that if you follow me and obey me, I will bless you and I'll be with you. And they instead relied on human plans. So human leaders essentially saying, we know better than God. It's described this way in chapter 30. For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, say no more visions and to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things, prophesy illusions, leave this way, get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Now here is a picture of God's children, God's people who he dearly loves. He instructs them. He teaches them, he warns them, he gives them everything that they need. He gives them his word. And back then, his word came through prophets like Isaiah, words from a father to his children. They just need to listen to him. Now, as a father, I instruct and I teach and I warn my children. Uh, Sometimes that looks like me sitting down with the kids and having a conversation about what it means to love each other. What does that look like? Other times it means that I'm shouting at the kids saying, don't run onto the road or don't stick your finger into the PowerPoints. You know, I instruct them, I teach them, I warn them. But I do all of that. I speak my words to them out of love, out of a desire to keep them safe and secure and to care for them. And they will be safe and secure if only they listen. Now, the issue here with God's children is that they don't listen. Uh, Verse 9 says this, For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. Instead, they say to the prophets, you know what they say, uh, tell us what we want to hear. Verse 11, stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Stop talking about God. That's what God's people are saying to the prophets. Stop telling us what God wants. We don't need him. Tell us what we want to hear. Friends, this is what pride looks like. It sounds so blatant here, but sometimes it's very subtle as well. It shows in our actions. Historically, we actually, when we talk about King Hezekiah, um, We actually know that King Hezekiah was a king that generally tried to live for God, a righteous king. Uh, You wouldn't have thought of him as a proud, arrogant king like maybe his father Ahaz, who was clearly wicked and proud. But you can't deny that in his actions, that when he turned to Egypt and when God was not even in the picture at all, that what he was saying to God through his actions was, stuff you, God, I don't need you. It's a grave offense. It's pride. And in, this, in the end, pride only leads to foolishness. And we're on our next point. Foolish people rely on their own plans. I need to paint a contrast here to start, and it starts with who God is. Isaiah 28, uh, verse 29 says this about God. The Lord Almighty, whose plan is wonderful, whose wisdom is magnificent, Right? This is God, whose plan is wonderful, whose wisdom is magnificent. That's who, who God is. 
Now, the contrast is, who are humans? What are, what are humans like? Now, most of you here look pretty smart to me. You look like pretty smart people. I think you could put together a decent plan if you had a problem to fix. Maybe, you know, you've got a toothache. What would you do? Well, um, you would uh, make an appointment with the dentist. You'd go see them. Uh, you might lay off the sweets because you realize that's not good. Maybe you need to move house. So what do you do? You check realestate.com, look at the prices, you research the suburbs, you talk to the bank. Not a bad plan. Pretty decent plan. You know, we can, we're pretty smart, right? But let me tell you something. Your plan is not wonderful. Your wisdom is not magnificent. Because you are not the Lord Almighty. His wisdom is the only wisdom that is magnificent and perfect and pure. If you think about it, Hezekiah's plan, it wasn't a bad plan in one sense. It was pretty sensible in one sense. Some might say even good, humanly speaking. His goal was good. His goal was to help the people get out of oppression from a foreign nation. Good goal. His plan was pretty decent as well. Go to Egypt for help. Now, they weren't the superpower nation that they were uh, back in the day when they were, um, you know, uh, Israel was under them, but they were still, you know, they still had power. And probably the best option that Hezekiah had, because they were willing, it was probably the best option he had. They could lend some power to him. He ticked the boxes, he covered the bases. The plan seemed decent. I'm sure you aren't surprised, though, to know that it didn't work. Chapter 30, verse 3. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in Zoan and their envoys have arrived in Ham, everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage but only shame and disgrace. You see, Egypt does take to the battlefield but is crushed by Assyria. They march, and then Assyria marches forward. They lay waste in the entire land of Judah. They, everywhere they go, they burn it to the ground. Before they arrive at Jerusalem, the, cap, the holy city, the capital city, and they put it under siege. Next week, we're going to look at these events in details. Pastor takes us through the next chapters. You see, Hezekiah puts his hope in his Egypt plans, but they don't work. They only end up in shame and disgrace. Shame and disgrace. He, should have, he shouldn't have trusted his plan because he isn't God. And friends, we need to remember that too. Here's the problem. We think if we are just smart enough and we plan well enough, then everything will be okay. Isn't that how we think? Our life plans... Uh, looks, uh, you know, they look something like this. If, if I study hard, and if I get good marks, then I can do whatever I want. I'll have all the options open up to me. That's part of our plan. Um, if I get a good job, and I earn lots of money, this is the next part of our plan, then um, I can have financial freedom. Financial freedom and enjoy life. If I 
if I achieve and I meet everyone's expectations of what success looks like, then I will have respect from all of those around me. If I find my perfect soulmate and I start my perfect family, then I can be happy and satisfied. And that's our plan. And then we put all the pieces in our plans. We have specific universities to get into, particular positions, jobs that we need to send to, specific marks for our children that they need to achieve, specific schools that they need to go to. If we, and we think if we are smart enough and we plan well enough, then everything will be okay. This thinking is severely misguided, friends. James 4 comes to mind here, the verse that struck me. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. Friends, our lives are a mist. They're here and then gone. We have no idea what will happen tomorrow. We don't even know what, whether we'll be alive tomorrow. Yet we put all our hopes in our plans for our future. And friends, that is foolish. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't plan. There is wisdom in planning. I think God wants us to steward our time and resources well. This is pleasing to God. But the problem isn't in making plans. It's trusting in your plans. Let me say that again. The problem isn't making plans. It's trusting in your plans. Maybe in your head you know that God's in control. And whenever you make a plan, you go, oh, yeah, if God, if God wills, if God wills, you know, it might happen, might not. But could it be that you've actually been trusting in your plans all along to give you security and safety in your life? Could it be that ultimately you've been relying on your plans to solve your problems? Could it be that your plans are what you hope will ultimately save you from whatever it is you need saving from? Friends, know this. Human plans will fail, but God's plan will never fail. Human plans will fail, but God's plan will never fail. The reality is, is it's foolish to trust in our plans when we aren't God. How can we? But it's even more foolish when we know that God has a better plan for us. He has a good plan for us and will help us if only we'd ask him instead of relying on ourselves. And that brings us to our next point, the real problem of misplaced trust. I don't know if you realize here, but the problem of Hezekiah going to Egypt wasn't so much about Egypt itself. Yes, they were a foreign nation, but God uses foreign nations in his plans. In Isaiah, we see Assyria and Babylon as his tools of judgment. They're, they're used for his plans. The problem with this plan is not so much Egypt, but the, the, the fact that God isn't even in the picture when these plans are considered. Let's revisit these verses. Woe to obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me. 
without consulting me. This is the sin that God is angry about. Think about it. This, this is the God of magnificent wisdom. He knows all. This is the God of sovereign power. He has control of all. This is a God who loves his people. Yet they completely ignore him. They don't even consult him. They just go off and make their own plans. If Hezekiah had only humbly come to God, maybe he would have been reminded of God's enduring promise to his people that, do not fear, I will be with you. No enemies will stand. He has shown this time and time again. If only he had heeded the word of God through the prophet Isaiah, he would know something like this in Isaiah 31 verse 8, that Assyria will fall by no human sword, a sword not of mortals will devour them. Salvation will come from God, not from a human army, not of Egypt. If only he had asked for help, would God not have heard him? The real problem with our human plans is that we leave God out of the picture. Let me be clear about something, friends. Here in these chapters, it's very clear. It's not just foolish. It's, you know, it, it is a foolish thing because think about it. You know, we have God. He's got a plan and we think our plans are better. That's foolish. But it's not just foolish. It's sinful. It actually is something that God is angry about because it says that we're turning our back on God and relying on ourselves. I don't think we often think about it that way because we are so used to doing things without him. But God is displeased at this. When a problem comes your way, friends, what do you do? If you're anything like me, I, I just go to work to fix it. You know, I'm an activist. When a problem comes, I just need to fix it. The other day, uh, Lee Ching said to me, hey, our bathroom scale's broken. And I'm like, say no more. On Ozbargain, research, what's a good price for a scale, you know, online order, boom, you know, scale's going to come. It's in the house. We've got a new scale now. We can weigh ourselves. How good's that? Problem fixed. And sometimes we take that approach to bigger life problems as well, don't we? We think something like this, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's about our job. You know, I'm not fulfilled in this office job of mine. We've got a problem. So what do we do? Well, we revise our CV. We get online. We start looking for jobs. We talk to friends who might have connections. We make a plan to move forward. And none of this is wrong. Except, where is God in this plan? Even though we don't mean to, could it be that our actions are saying to God, stuff you, God, I don't need you. Where on the planning process is coming to God in prayer? Where on the planning process is opening God's word and hearing what he has to say to us? If you're anything like me, then prayer is the... It comes right at the end when nothing else seems to work. And opening God's word, well, oftentimes that doesn't even happen at all. And that shows us something. It shows us our view of God is far too small. So small that we forget about him. Friends, this series is called Behold Our God. 
because we want you to see who God is. He is the one that holds our lives in the palm of his hands. He loves us. He has a good plan for us. And he offers this help to us. We have a relationship with the living God of the universe. Did you, did you know that? Why are we trying to solve our problems ourselves? Friends, what difference would it make if we would humbly come before God and say something like this, Father God, I need wisdom to make a decision that honors you. Please give me that wisdom and please open up the right opportunities for the right job that would honor you and your will be done, not mine. What a difference it would make if we humbly came to God's word where he speaks to us and to be shaped afresh by what he reveals to us. You might have read it before, but trust me, when you keep coming back to the word, it keeps saying deeper truths to you. Maybe you'll see something in your job search, you know, for example, from Colossians 3, that God doesn't care so much about what work you do, but how you do it in godliness and love. Maybe as you come to the scriptures, you'll see again his bigger plan for this world. It's not about making more money, but making more disciples. And you'll have your eyes open to jobs that you wouldn't have considered before because that will give you opportunities to connect with more non-Christians. That will give you, that will enable you to get to church and life groups regularly so you can keep growing and making disciples. Friends, the key is to go to God. It's to go to God. Before in our reading, we heard that repentance is where you will found, find salvation. Repentance means turning away from the things of this world and turning to God, turning to Him. Here's what you need to do. Before you make your decision, before you make your plans, stop. Pray to God for wisdom and help. Open up your Bible and see what He has to say to you. Let me tell you, friends, this is not to be your last resort. This has to be the first thing we do. The first thing we do every time. Every time. These are not last resorts because this is how we show our dependence on God, not ourselves. And let me tell you, when you start planning like this, your decisions and your plans, might, they might look very different to the rest of the world. Your plans might not look very sensible, actually, to the rest of the world because these plans shaped by God, will, they might forego worldly security. What, humanly speaking, might seem like good, safe options. It might be the lower-paying job, the smaller house. It might be not getting into that relationship, and instead we trust in God. And that might be risky. It might be a bit foolish-looking, even. I'm reminded here of the judge Gideon. You know Gideon, the judge? Um, when God whittled down his army... He was about to fight a foreign nation, whittled down his army from 32,000 people to 300 because this was God's plan for victory. It looks foolish, but it's God's plan. Maybe that's what God would have done for Hezekiah to show who's really in charge. I don't know. But friends, God didn't put us here on this earth to play it safe. He made us to live for him and for his glory, and that takes faith. It takes real trust. It takes dependence. When was the last time you made a plan that actually depended on God? A plan that 
you needed to really rely on God to show up. Otherwise, it just wasn't going to happen. A plan that the world thinks is ridiculous, but God is greatly pleased with because you are trusting in Him and not yourself. When was the last time? Friends, human plans will fail, but God's plan never fails. Remember that. We have a God who is in control, a God who is all-knowing, and a God who loves us and offers his help to us. Why would we depend on ourselves? Come to him. Let me end with this prayer. God's big plan. As we think about planning, we need to consider this. Sometimes we can be far too short-sighted. We need to lift our eyes to God's big plan. You know, we've been talking a lot about little, uh, little and big decisions in our lives, but let's, let's lift our eyes to God's big plan. I don't know what God has in store for me and my family for the next 10 years. Um, I don't know what God has in store for this church for the next five years, so I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what will happen tomorrow, but I do know what will happen in eternity. I do know his plans for me. I have assurance that surpasses anything that this world offers because I'm part of God's ultimate gracious plan of salvation, of renewal. And friends, you can be part of this plan too. Let me finish with one last passage. It's the final verses of this section, chapter 35, verses 8 to 10. A picture of ultimate restoration, a new creation that awaits for all those who humbly trust in God and not themselves. It's his big plan. Chapter 35, verse 8. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. This world is a broken place. It is, and nothing, humanly speaking, will fix that. The best plans, we can pour in our, our, our efforts into the best plan for us to avoid sufferings and hardships in our lives, but they will come. They will come. We can put our best plans in place to find joy and satisfaction, but we will be disappointed over and over again. We can't ultimately save ourselves from the problems of this world. But God can. Salvation is His. Verse 10 says, And those the Lord has rescued, the Lord has rescued, will return. God has put, a, put in a place a plan of salvation and restoration and renewal for all that turn away from depending on self and instead throw themselves on Him and depend on Him. Um, second half of verse 10, They will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy. Joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. What a beautiful plan God has. And his plan will never fail. Because Jesus Christ has already come. Jesus Christ has already died and risen again to pay for the sins of all who come to him. Jesus Christ has secured an entrance into our heavenly home. 
and nothing, nothing can ever take that away from you. Friends, there's a lot of anxieties that we face about our future. Maybe you're here today and you are weighed down with worries, uncertainties, anxieties. And I can't tell you exactly what will happen in your life. I don't know what will happen. But friends, I can tell you one thing. If you trust in Jesus, your future is secure. Your eternity is secure. And this means that whatever the world throws at you, you'll be okay. Because God is on your side. Because God has you in his hands. This is his plan. It's better than ours, isn't it? Is today the day you let go of your plans and you start trusting in God? Let me pray. Father God, we come to you asking for forgiveness for when we just leave you out of the picture, when we don't even consider you as we plan and we go about our lives. Help us to lift our eyes and see who you are, a God who is powerful, a God who knows all, a God who loves his children. And help us to lift our eyes and see your big plan to restore this world, to save those who come to Jesus Christ. And may that shape all that we do. May we live for your glory alone, not ourselves. And may we start by doing that by depending on you. In Jesus Christ's name.